and slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is usually every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date but today and throughout the summer we are talking about movies that were released in the year 2000 um so today we're going to talk about the cell I am sitting on my porch, full disclosure, so you're going to get a lot of a lot more background noise than usual. Please feel free to let me know if this is too annoying for you. I don't anticipate doing weird locations often. I just kind of felt like sitting on the porch today. So I hope that's okay for you as an anomaly. If it's not, let me know and I will definitely take that into consideration. So it is a super hot late August day. Um, but my hair's wet, so I'm going to sit out on the porch until it's dry. <laughs> yes, that is the plan. You guys, are you ready? Do you want to go with me on this hair drying journey? Sure you do. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's dogs barking in the background. I had to let one of my dogs inside because he was barking at a stray dog that's walking around the neighborhood. <laughs> This may not be sustainable hanging out on the porch, but we'll see how long it lasts. So, I watched The Cell. This is a movie with J-Lo and other people as well. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio and Vince Vaughn. Um, so the general plot of this movie, if you did not do your homework <laughs> and watch it, it is, um, so the way that I remembered it was that J-Lo was a psychologist, but in the movie she's described as someone with no training. So she's essentially employed as a therapist, but she's just being employed for her innate talents for working with people without training in actual therapy. Sorry, the chair I'm sitting on keeps like shifting. So the premise of the movie is she is doing like an experiment that's being funded it's like a science they're testing out a new method of therapy essentially and so she has been working for months with a patient that has something called Whalen's syndrome or something where is it where does it say um, I don't know. We'll get there. I have some notes. Um, oh, I was going to look up. I was going to look up and see if this was a real form of schizophrenia. I need to do that. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So in the movie, they call... So she's working with this patient that he's essentially catatonic. And it was there was an event that triggered this catatonia, which it's some rare form of schizophrenia. That's the way that the movie paints it. It's called Wayland's infraction, but it is a made-up thing for the movie itself, which I'm kind of relieved to know because I went to school for psychology. So I was like, why have I never heard of this very specific form of schizophrenia that is 
it's triggered by a traumatic event, which schizophrenia can be triggered by a traumatic event. Um, essentially, the way that schizophrenia works, this is a very, very simple explanation, overly simplified explanation, but essentially, you you don't present with schizophrenia until... I don't know if it has to do with the development of your prefrontal cortex, but it happens at the same time, so it may have something to do with it. But essentially, your prefrontal cortex is not fully formed until you're in about your mid-20s. I think it happens a little bit later for men and a little bit earlier for women. And that is typically around the age that schizophrenia presents as well. And again, I don't know if those two things are just correlated or if there's causation there, but essentially, you know, you don't know... I think genetically you either have whatever it is that can cause schizophrenia or you don't. And then your upbringing is what unlocks it in you or not. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I think that's true. Okay, I'm in, I'm trying to be better about like actually looking things up instead of just being like, um, I think this is true, don't quote me. So um, I'm on mayoclinic.org. In men, schizophrenia symptoms typically start in the early to mid-20s, and women typically begin in the late 20s. It's uncommon for children to be diagnosed with schizophrenia and rare for those older than 45. So it's something that happens in your 20s, essentially. It presents itself. As far as like whether trauma can trigger it or not, I think that is something that is disputed. Um, okay, yeah, that's true causes it's not known what causes schizophrenia but researchers believe that a combination of genetics brain chemistry and environment contributes so basically they're like i don't fucking know something causes it (laughs) um but risk factors are having a family history of schizophrenia pregnancy and birth complications such as malnutrition or exposure to toxins or viruses can impact it's basically a brain development disorder so um Anyway, I don't know why I'm defining schizophrenia right now, (laughs) except that I just kind of wanted to know, like, this movie doesn't get it right, essentially, but they don't get it completely wrong. It, It comes off to me that, you know, the makers of this movie were curious about schizophrenia and find it to be an interesting topic, but they probably also did not want to, they probably also weren't actually psychologists themselves, so they probably didn't want to piss off the psychologist community so they just made up a thing a form they made up a form of schizophrenia that does not exist which um i mean the character the serial killer okay okay so i haven't even told like the actual plot so she she helps a child that is in a catatonic state because of this specific rare and fake form of schizophrenia called wayland's infraction she helps them with this experimental technology that they're still testing so she's being funded by a grant at like a university or something to do this work and what she does is she essentially visits his mind so the technology works so that she can in a dreamlike state be transplanted into his brain and he she can help therapize him 
by doing that is the but she's been unable to kind of get through to him that's how the movie is beginning like she hasn't been able to help him she's been working with this kid for a long time to try to apparently in the mythology of the movie this particular syndrome has never been reversed like once it's been triggered um by a traumatic event they're just in a catatonic state forever and so she's trying to help pull him out of his mind to bring him out of the catatonic state um, through this new technology. And so there's a serial killer that it turns out he has the same brain, this abnormality, abnormality, the same rare form of schizophrenia. And so his event has been triggered and he is now in a catatonic state. However, the way that he kills is through a fully automated process of slowly drowning a woman and so in some undisclosed location so because it's a fully automated process and they know that he has kidnapped his latest victim in the last like 12 hours or something they know that they have they know enough of the patterns the fbi knows enough of the patterns of this serial killer that they know that they have like 30 hours or something um, to find this person before she's killed by this automated process that this guy set in motion before he had the traumatic event that caused him to be in a catatonic state. Um, so the theory is that this woman, J-Lo, used her technique for therapy that she's been using for this kid to go into his mind and maybe she can talk to him and get him to tell her where the girl is. Um, so that's essentially the plot of the movie. So it is, the cinematography is amazing. The score is amazing. It's a very atmospheric movie. It's the art direction, everything, color use. It's visually a very striking movie. And I watched it back in the year 2000 whenever I was... I was a teenager and I was very, I was still in high school. I was very fascinated with, I mean, I've always been fascinated by human behavior, but I was really fascinated by the dark sides of human behavior. Like I was dating someone that reminds me of the serial killer in this movie. <laughs> um, I was very fascinated by like how a person reacts to trauma and abuse. So this, and I was, you know, very much like the things that I, historically, the things that I am drawn to are visually interesting things. Like I'm very, I'm very much a person that my self-expression is through visual, it's visual self-expression. Like I am very thoughtful about the, the clothes that I wear and the makeup that I put on and like... Um, I'm lazy a lot of the time, so I don't always look as nice as I'd like to. But when I have the energy, I present in a very specific way. Like I have tattoos and piercings and like image is important to me is what I'm saying. Um, visual image has always been important to me. So like, especially whenever I was younger, like my favorite movies were the ones that were visually striking. And later in life, I found out that part of that is because... I, for whatever reason, I need subtitles to really understand what's going on with the movie, which I've mentioned before. Um, but I didn't realize that about myself 
until I was in my maybe early 30s, late 20s. Um, so prior to that, I was not really understanding a lot of the time what's going on with movies. Like I would understand basic plot information, but beyond that, it was more when I was reacting to a movie, I was reacting more to just the way the movie made me feel and the atmosphere um, and the visuals. It's not like I don't understand words. You know, obviously I'm talking right now, <laughs> but um, subtitles help so much. Um, so this is, I think it's possibly, this is the first time it's possible. This is the first time I've watched this movie since making that discovery about myself. And luckily a lot of the older DVDs that I have, and I would have bought this DVD like right around the time that it actually released. Um, a lot of those older DVDs, you don't even have the option to turn on subtitles. So luckily this one I could. So this is possible. It's the first time I've seen this movie with subtitles. So I understood it more than I probably ever have. It also disturbed me a little bit more than I ever, than it ever has. Let me know if you did end up watching this movie for the first time and what kind of reaction you had to it. I would love to talk to you about that. Um, if you feel like talking about it, um, email me at mixtressradio at gmail. Um, I was much more disturbed by it than I've ever been. I didn't used to be very disturbed by this type of stuff. It's interesting to like get older and become more disturbed by psychological things. You know, you'd think it'd go the other way around, but for me, it really hasn't. Um, I think my my conceptualization and my memories of this movie are probably better than actually the actual experience of watching it. That said, I do still think it holds up. Um, but the biggest thing that I like about this movie is the cinematography, the score, and the just the general idea that a person's mind is a landscape. Like I've really taken that with me throughout my life for the last 20 years. Like that idea is with me all the time. This movie has a, affected my brain development, I feel like, because of just that concept. And you know, like there's a lot of movies like that where you like visit someone's dreams or like in um, uh, Endless Mind of the Spotless, no, Spotless Mind of the Endless, what is that Jim Carrey movie? Oh my God, why can't I remember the title? It's one of my favorite movies. Okay, okay. And that took me, like, I had to pause and I was sitting here for, like, fully 20 seconds going, Endless, Spotless, Eternal, <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, there's a lot of movies like that where, like, you're exploring someone's dreams or someone's memories and the visualization of that concept. Even The Matrix is kind of like that, you know? Just anything like that is always going to be my jam anytime you're looking at reality in a different way. Um, I really like the idea of pluralism, which is a philosophy where it's basically just perception is reality of like, you know, the way that I view the world could be completely different than the way that you literally visually see it because you know, why do I, it's like essentially the concept of like, why do I think I'm sitting on a chair? It's because, you know, we have all collectively defined 
this item that I am sitting on as a chair. We've decided to call it this. We've decided that it looks a certain way. And what if it doesn't actually look that way? What if purple isn't actually purple? You know, just like, it's so semantic. But it's just always those types of ideas have always been interesting to me. So like the idea that I've always wondered, like, what if I were to visit the landscape of my mind? What would it look like? And I love the idea that, like, throughout this movie, you see essentially the mind landscape of three different characters. You see the mind landscape of this young child who's just had a traumatic event that she's trying to help, um, that she's worked with for several months. You see the mind landscape of jlo herself very briefly i would have liked to to have explored that a lot more and then you see the mind landscape throughout most of the movie most of the time you're in the mind landscape of the serial killer and it's just really interesting how it's just an interesting concept to me and um anyway so let's get into my actual notes of the damn movie so it begins with um you're in the desert with jlo it's gorgeous. The score is really interesting. It gets really like dissonant in this first scene. Um, and it's it starts out really good, but then it's very uncomfortable once it gets super dissonant, which I'm sure was the point. Um, the score is Howard Shore, I believe. Oh my God. So I'm looking up the cell on IMDb so I can actually tell you guys information. Okay, writer is Mark Protosevic, um, director Tarsim Singh, um, and then uh, as I was searching, oh my god, there's a cell too, you guys, and it came out in 2009. It looks like, I mean, just based on, like, nothing except me seeing it really quickly <laughs> on IMDb. It looks terrible. I kind of need to watch it, right? Um, okay, I'm trying to find, like, who did the score and stuff like that. Okay, yes, I got his name right. Howard Shore. Cinematographer, Paul Laufer. Um, the two main, um, producers, executive producers, are both women for this movie. The director is an Indian man, so, hey... The main characters, I mean, Vince Vaughn and Vincent D'Onofrio, a couple of white guys, but J-Lo is Latina. Um, the main doctor in the movie is a black woman, played by, played by a black woman, who I actually recognize. Let me see, what's her name? I recognize her for, like, movies that I've seen more recently. Let's see. Marianne Jean-Baptiste. She plays Dr. Miriam Kent. There's a couple of other like white guy doctors, but she's the main one that interacts with JLo. And they it, this movie actually passes the Bechtel test within like the first five minutes because as soon as you get through that first scene where she's inside that kid's mind, um, she the doctor, the woman doctor comes in, Dr. Kent. And she talks to JLo immediately. And I mean, mostly they're talking about the kid whenever they have conversations, but she does talk to her about herself. Like she's worried about her well being, like whether or not she's sleeping well, because this job is really hard on her psychologically, as you would imagine. And she's been having nightmares because of the work that she's been doing. 
But anyway, it begins with you're inside this kid's mind. And this, the thing that happened to him, the traumatic event that triggered his catatonic state, specific form of fake schizophrenia, was that he had like some sort of sailing accident. So her approach to him when she visits his mind is that she's trying to help him have like a new sailing experience because if she can have a positive sailing experience with him within his mind she thinks that he'll be able to wake up and reverse the damage i guess is i think that's the idea um, we don't get a whole lot of scenes being in his mind because it's basically just the establishing scenes for her character and what she's doing there like she's not there to be inside serial killers minds but she makes that sacrifice um the way that the movie deals with informed consent is pretty good, I would say, because she's the one, JLo's character is the one that has to like put herself in this dangerous situation. And especially Dr. Kent is really an advocate for her. She's like, she's like, well, she's the one that is putting herself at risk. So it's all up to her if she wants to do this, you know, but when they're first talking to her about like actually going inside the mind of a serial killer, at first, she's pretty hesitant about it, but it, you know, she, in the end, decides to do it because um, she wants to save the his latest victim that could still be saved. Um, anyway, I, I'm not sure exactly what to say about this movie other than what I've already said, which is just... It's very interesting conceptually, visually, it's very beautiful gorgeous cinematography like i said it's it is an experience it is upsetting for sure at times because you're seeing a serial killer from within his own mind at different aspects of his development so you see him as a child you see him get abused by his dad like that's probably the hardest part of the whole movie but you see him actually you see him in real life before he goes into this catatonic state. You see him with one of his victims, with his latest victim that he's already killed. And he has all these very specific things that he does. He bleaches women. He drowns them over a course of like 40 hours, just slowly drowns them alone. And he films them. And then he watches it like while masturbating I think like whenever I was younger I didn't realize that this is what they were probably referring to when he's like vibrating while watching this like obviously you don't actually see it thankfully but I think that's what's happening and I never made that connection until now um so it's there's a lot of upsetting aspects to it just mostly psychologically upsetting it's really the hardest to watch him as a kid you know there's just one scene where JLo is like in the closet because every time she talks to the kid version in the serial killer's mind um she ends up witnessing some super traumatic event in his childhood at the hands of his dad and he keeps saving her like he pushes her into the closet before his dad comes into the room um to save her so this is, you know, obviously at this point, she knows that she can reach him in his child state before he has turned into an adult serial killer. So when she sees him as an, she sees him in three different forms within his mind, which is kind of interesting. She sees him as a child 
she sees him as an adult as he actually presents in the world as kind of a younger adult than he was when he went into the catatonic state and then she sees him as this sort of idealized monster devil creature that he has made himself in his mind which is the most which is an actual he's like he presents in this form he presents in a lot of different visual aspects of this particular form but they're all like versions of devil you know like at one point his hair has formed into horns um in real life he had um big ring piercings o-ring piercings in his back so that he could suspend himself um, which is a thing that people that are not serial killers do usually they don't have um, piercings permanently installed usually they just have hooks temporarily pierced into their back so that they could either suspend from a tree or suspend from something else or um, I've actually seen it where it's only two hooks it might be four it might be four where you do like a horizontal row of four hooks that are made for this purpose are pierced into your back preferably by a professional piercer and you can go with like a partner and like both of you get these four hooks put in your back and then you are attached to each other with like some kind of like line what I don't know whatever like nylon or something some kind of rope is attached to the hooks and then the two of you can lean forward and kind of suspend against each other's weight and it's actually kind of an interesting experience I've, I've actually always wanted to have it um, but at the time that that was like something that was present in my life I was very much in an abusive relationship where like what I wanted was not important what what I was there for is to see other people do this kind of stuff to see boys do this kind of stuff it it was never about me so I was and I just didn't feel confident enough to actually speak up for anyway it's an interesting thing that people do <laughs> um, suspension and I still would like to experience it someday like for me personally I would probably like to suspend from like a tree or something you know because it's an interesting experience because you realize how tough your skin is like in this movie you see this one moment where like as in the devil form this guy has like a bar fed through some nipple piercings and um at this point she J-Lo's character has invited him into her mind and she is in a like a Athena warrior princess stance and she's like she grabs the bar and yanks it out of his nipples and it's awful but that actually wouldn't happen if you're picking up someone by their nipples most likely I mean yeah your skin can tear but most likely it's gonna hold and that was so interesting for me to learn because like you know you would think four hooks put into the skin of someone's back and I saw these two people like pulling against each other because they were attached and they each had these four hooks and they were like pulling as hard as they could they were like digging into the ground tugging against each other and their skin didn't rip I mean it tore like a little bit on one of the two men that I watched this with but 
it didn't rip out. I mean, I'm sure it could rip out if it, if it was done badly or if you had particularly tarry skin or something. But anyway, it was just really interesting to me to see, like, how resilient the human body really is. You know, like, you see movies and stuff of somebody, like, ripping out someone's nose ring like it ain't no thing. Like, that would be, like, almost impossible to do. I've had a nose ring since the year, since I was 14. And it would just be pretty damn impossible to pull it out of my nose. It would. Your skin is way tougher than you think it is. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying about that? How did I even start talking about the fact that he had these rings in his back? I don't know. Whatever. Let me go back to my notes. Um, muscle boob outfit. The outfit that they put them in whenever she's going to go into someone's mind or they're going to go into hers or whatever. Like... It's very weird. It looks like musculature. It's... I don't see the purpose of it. It's... You know, it's definitely not scientists that made this movie. Because the way that it's done seems very impractical. Like, they just put some sort of, like, satin sheet that has some computer chip-looking technology on it over their faces. And that's how they get transported into the other person's brain. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's movie tech. Like, it doesn't have to be super realistic. I mean, it, it has aged relatively well. I mean, honestly, this movie in general has aged very well. J-Lo, of course, is a gem, as per usual. She brings so much heart and soul to this movie. Like, she really seems like a person that gives a shit. She's, you know interesting you know <laughs> you know you know you know um she just seems like such a nice person doesn't she don't you just like feel held by j-lo in every movie like my my mom and i ended up watching hustlers right after this so we like inadvertently like had a j-lo double feature <laughs> last night which was good and she's just so sweet and nurturing in that movie too it's just like hustlers isn't particularly a wonderful movie but it the friendship at the center of the mo movie between Constance Wu's character and um, Jennifer Lopez's character is just good. It's just good. It's the reason to go to that movie. <laughs> and in this movie, there's a lot of reasons. In The Cell, there's a lot of reasons to go to that movie. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about anymore, guys. So, somehow I got completely derailed by the fact that this movie does pass the Bechtel test in the first five minutes, and it passes several times, pretty much only between J-Lo's character and that doctor. There really aren't that many female characters in this movie. Like, most of them are victims of the serial killer. Most of the females you see on screen are victims of the serial killer. Um, the There is a an albino... I don't know if it's actually albino. It might just be a white dog with white eyes. I don't think it has to be albino to be a white dog with white eyes. So I don't know if it's technically an albino dog, but it is a white German Shepherd with, I mean, maybe it does need to be for a German Shepherd to have white eyes like that. I don't actually know the answer to that question, but that dog is so fucking cute. I can't even stand it. And that dog is, is the serial killer's dog and it's in many scenes in the movie. Um, blah, blah, blah. Through the beginning, from the very beginning of the movie, 
J-Lo's character is pushing to reverse the feed. She thinks that she could get further with helping um, this boy. What is his name? I don't remember. She thinks she can get further by helping this boy that's in the catatonic state if she reverses the feed by bringing him into her mind. But they think it's too dangerous. They won't let her risk herself like that. They've always said no. But she thinks that would be the best thing to do. Um, in the beginning, like establishing character moments of the movie, you see her go home to her apartment. You see that she's been having nightmares. She has trouble relaxing at the end of the day after, after this job. Um, you see her like smoke pot and like lay in bed with like a little sand pillow. And um, it's, it's, you know, it makes sense. She has a cat. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember anything specific about her, like, house. That's the only scene that we see. Um, but I think this movie is relatively respectful to her as a woman. Um, her and the doctor character. Um, there really isn't a lot of, like, overt sexism in this movie, despite the fact that, like, we do see dead women in this movie, dead naked women in this movie. We do see women in distress, um, but they're all the victims of the serial killer. Um, even Vince Vaughn, like usually that guy pisses me off, but in this movie, he comes off as a very compassionate, sensitive person, even though he's an FBI agent. He's not overly masculine, which is nice. He seems really unaffected. You know, the characters seem relatively realistic to me. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. I always make so many notes and then I just end up babbling like I didn't even need to take notes anyway, but I don't know. <laughs> so you see um, the serial killer guy, Vincent D'Onofrio's character, um, going through a lot of seizures and shit leading up to when he goes into that catatonic state. Um, and the sound effects that they use to accompany those seizures are very, very intense, but I think they have the desired effect. Um, it feels very visceral. Like this movie in general just feels very visceral. Like it's happening to you in a dreamlike state almost, if that makes sense. It's very emotional. Um, but da, 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 da. The FBI guy, Vince Vaughn's character. So when JLo has agreed to, to go into his mind to try to help save this victim, he she has a conversation with him. Like, is there anything I need to know about him? Um, I feel like he should have given her more information than he did, but I do like the information that he did give her. Like he said to her that he's showing a need for disclosure. Like he's gotten more sloppy lately. And Vince Vaughn thinks that that means that he wants to be caught. Um, and he expresses that to her, and that is an important piece of information, I would think. Um, that means that she has more of a chance of getting through to him. Um, oh, the first time we go into the serial killer's mind, it is, the score is just, I don't know how to describe it. It's minimal, but it's 
emotional. It's and they use that thread like the score is just so good. And in fact, I noticed something on the DVD menu. It said, um, "What did it call?" It was there was a setting that was in the special features that just said isolated score, and it's basically you can play the entire movie from that DVD <laughs> with no dialogue or sound effects, just the score. So that is interesting. I had forgotten that that was a feature of the DVD version that I have. Um, I feel like that's one of those things you could put it on. <laughs> you could put it on during a party or something. Have you ever done that? Back in the day when I used to have like actual parties, I would create like atmospheres in different rooms and stuff and like have parties at my house. So like there'd be like a room where there was a movie playing or something and like... Um, that would be a good instance to play the isolated score of the cell. <laughs> Just disturbing imagery and a disturbing score. <laughs> and you can decide what their characters are talking about. <laughs> I don't know, it might be a fun experiment sometime. Um, blah, blah, blah. It's just everything about this. It's hard to like actually describe this movie, but it's very interesting. Like... It's just interesting to think about, like, if your mind was a landscape, what would it look like? What type of setting would it be? What would the score be inside your mind landscape? How would you present if you were a character inside your own mind? Like, because we see the serial killer that he now sees himself as this sort of godlike king creature that is a devil that is a menace and his victims are inside his mind and that's another really disturbing scene too when you see his victims they're like hooked up to machinery like dolls they're being animated but they're still dead it's very upsetting but it's also it looks like a, I wrote down that it looks like a Floria Sigismondi music video she's a music video director that she did several Marilyn Manson videos, like the iconic ones, like Beautiful People and Tourniquet. She also did Christina Aguilera's Fighter video. Her aesthetic is very specific. It's sort of, it's sort of dark and green and gritty and wet and crackling. And like, I wanted to be her whenever I was in my teen years. I was like, yes, that was my goal. I wanted to be a music video director. Um, that absolutely did not happen. <laughs> um, but anyway, all the visuals are really interesting. Even if they're not actually aesthetically appealing to you, I think you could gain a lot of symbolism from if I wanted to pick apart every single shot of cinematography in this movie, like it could really be done. It could be done. <laughs> um, there's this really touching scene. It's a conversation between Vince Vaughn's character and JLo's character. She gets really scared the first time she goes into his head. And she has, like, an exit, like, where she can touch, like, the webbing between her thumb and forefinger on her other hand to kind of, like, pull herself out um, of the thing. Or it's a signal that shows to the doctors that they can pull her out. Um, anyway she does that pretty quickly the first time she goes into his head but and so she's kind of recovering from being in his head there's like a time period where she's sort of like walking around campus and like it's 
And it's very much like Vince Vaughn tries to run in there and be like, okay, I need to talk to her about what she saw and like whatever. And the doctor like stops her and says, you know, she has, she needs some time to reorient herself in reality, like give her some space, you know, the boundaries that are set within this weird psychological therapy relationship scientific experiment situation the boundaries that are set to take care of JLo's character because she's the one putting herself at risk even though they establish that she's not a trained therapist so it would be easy for a lot of movies especially in the year 2000 to treat her with less respect because of that like just make her do this thing she blah 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 but they are respectful of her they make sure she has informed consent they give her the time that she needs to process what she's going through even though like it's a time sensitive issue but they still give her time anyway there's a conversation between Vince Vaughn's character and JLo's character between like the first and second time she goes into his head at this point we're not even sure if she's going to go back in because it was so scary and she's kind of like and she's taking time to decide whether or not she thinks it's healthy for her to go back in like it's definitely established that she goes a little bit too far outside her comfort zone and she sacrifices her own mental health a little too much but it does establish that she is being cognizant of her own mental health and she is processing whether or not she wants to do the things and they give her the time and space to make those decisions anyway <laughs> there's a conversation between the two of them where he she is expressing sympathy for him and he's being a little bit more of a hard ass like she's expressing sympathy for the serial killer and he's being a little bit more of a hard ass and he says something that I don't know if I ever made this connection before like they don't really harp on like Vince Vaughn's character and what his background is and they don't go too far into his psychology this is really the only moment that they really do and it's, it's done in a subtle kind of sensitive way. He says, you know, she is expressing that she understands that she doesn't know how you can understand a mind like that, but she feels a lot of empathy for him at the same time. And he says something like, she I think she's kind of I don't remember the exact wording of the conversation but I think she's kind of coming from a place of it's not his fault he went through so much in his childhood blah 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 and he says something to the effect of I believe that you can go through the worst abuse that you can ever imagine and still never ever ever hurt another human being and I just like oh I'm tearing up just thinking about like Vince Vaughn delivering an emotionally resonant sentence like he he really brings it home in that moment where he's like I believe that you can go through the worst abuse and never ever ever hurt another human being and and still never ever ever you know oh it was powerful like I teared up last night watching it tearing up right now just talking about it and like that's really the only hint that they give you that he has likely gone through something really horrible and she's like, oh, yeah, you know that for a fact or something like that. And he's like, absolutely, I do. And he doesn't like, it's not like he's trying to, usually when this kind of thing is presented in a movie, it's usually so ham-handed, you know, like they usually are 
just like really drive in at home that this person's been through something and you might even see flashbacks of them going through something and this movie is definitely not gonna shy away from you having to see someone go through something very traumatic um but they don't do that in this case they let him have his privacy of not i think that's something that movies should do more often is like not tell you absolutely every specific thing about a person's upbringing they can hint at it and you can fill in the blanks maybe you resonate with vince vaughn's character in this movie and like if your specific childhood does not mirror his specific childhood that they show you maybe you wouldn't be able to relate to it as much as you being able to be like oh shit that guy's been through something i have too like you don't always have to give every single detail you know like a lot of the times like a monster in a movie is scarier when you don't completely see it you know and that kind of thing like I said before, like movies these days are just like so much action shit happening every single second. So loud. Everything is shown like when there's something to be said with giving a moment space and not filling in all the details for someone because like you have to trust your audience to be smart enough to fill in the details themselves. It's why music is so powerful because generally like lyrics, I mean, definitely hashtag not all lyrics but generally lyrics are going to be like vague enough and metaphorical enough that you can insert your own experience into it that's why music is so powerful and emotionally resonant because of that it's not because i mean like country ballads or something that i can think of that are very specific and people people like that i i don't ever personally i don't resonate with music that is like a very specific story I am better with the vagueness, with the metaphors, with the flowery poetic language, because that that way it leaves more space to insert yourself, you know? And this little conversation is just an example of this movie does give you space. Like it lets you sit within the imagery. Like uh, there are long sequences where there's no dialogue being said. This movie's strong point is not necessarily its dialogue. This movie's strong points are the symbolism and the visuals and the music. And what you take away from this movie is how it makes you feel, you know? <laughs> when I first pressed record, I was like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to say about this movie. And now I'm like getting so flowery. Oh my God. Anyway, it needs to be said that J-Lo looks fucking fantastic throughout this movie. Like, she's got this really cute, short, super curly haircut. Um, in regular everyday life, she seems to dress really, really understated. Just like kind of like t-shirts and stuff. Like, not literally t-shirts probably, but just like, you know, simple clothing. But then you see her in all these you see her in all these different like gorgeous gorgeous like structural f dresses and things like she appears kind of like a white swan whenever she's in that kid's mind she definitely appears like a savior um like goddess type white swan creature whenever she's in his mind whenever she's in the serial killer's mind she's in more like gothic or red or restrictive 
interesting. Like, depending on... Depending on, like... And it's all psychological, too. Like, whenever she's interacting with the kid version of the serial killer, she's usually in her normal, regular, everyday clothes. She's presenting in his mind as she actually presents in real life, which is interesting, isn't it? Um, because that kid version of the serial killer accepts her as she really is. But then whenever she is... Um, I think she's possibly in, like, her own version of, like, her own style of clothing, too, when she's talking to the adult version of the serial killer. Um, but then whenever she's interacting with the, like, king demon version of the serial killer, she is in different phases. Either she's in, like, just some beautiful flowy outfit and something restraining, or there's one point in the movie where she has sort of become his queen like he's allowed her to live he, she's not one of his dead victims but she is like wearing this collar and she's chained to a bed but she's also she seems very sure of herself and like like a queen in his mind it's it's very interesting the different ways that he sees her throughout at that point she so essentially like the second time she goes into his head second or third probably second she gets lost and it, it is established earlier in the movie kind of like with the matrix if you believe that what is happening to you is real while you're in the matrix it happens to you in real life the same thing with this movie like if you start to believe that it's real inside someone else's head it becomes real for you and you can't pull them out because it would be really harmful to them i guess so at one point she starts she gets lost as they call it. She gets lost inside his head and she doesn't remember who she is anymore and she gets stuck inside his mythology. And at that point it is established that Vince Vaughn thinks that he can help. So he goes in. <laughs> so um, they have another suit because at first they thought you know multiple therapists could be helpful to the little boy but it didn't work out and that was established earlier in the movie that they had an extra suit so he was able to um put the suit on and go in and try to save the girl and i was a little cranky but it's like oh he's just gonna go in there and save her but you know they do sort of save each other it's not completely um i i think this movie wasn't wasn't to like save the damsel in distress even though he went in there to help her whenever she was lost inside his head he went in there to help her and he did help her but it makes sense that he would be able to help her because he has been following this particular serial serial killer for a while so being inside his mind he could see and recognize certain patterns that she wouldn't know because she doesn't know him um so that was done well i think actually um god she looked so hot when she had like the the black lipstick and the collar on and the weird like hair that was like ombre red at the tips um yeah anyway <laughs> that is like the the image that i remember the most from the movie is is her when she is in like the queen aspect inside his mind of course my neighbor's gonna start mowing right now i was just thinking like if you were just looking at like a chronological like photo album of all of the outfits 
that JLo wears in the different contexts in this movie, like whether she's in real life or she's in the kid's head or she's in the serial killer's head when he's a kid or in the serial killer's head when he's an adult or in the serial killer's head before he convinces her that she before she gets like sucked into the mythology of his head and then after she gets sucked into the mythology of his head <laughs> um and then later where she decides to reverse the feed. This is where the outfits get really interesting to me because up until this point, every time you've seen her, she's been very innocent looking, wearing a lot of white, professional, casual clothes in real life. Or, um, and then whenever she is sucked into the mythology of his head, she's very gothic and regal and structured dresses and like, reds and blacks and like very fashion gothic like scary outfits but then whenever she decides against like the doctors are distracted for some reason because she's when Vince Vaughn's character is also in there with her they figure out where they need to look to find they, they figure out the information that they need and so he comes out and he like rushes himself out of the building and they're distracted and blah 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 she decides to reverse the feed because she's really distressed when they get out that time she's not ready to go yet and he sort of forces it this is like the only time where her consent is not is subverted because he thinks he saved her he's found the information that he needs and they need to get the fuck out of there because it's time sensitive and she is um at that point she realizes that you know she's outside the mythology now she knows that it's not real and she wants to stay because she's talking to the, the little boy now the little boy version of the serial killer and she thinks she's she's starting to get through to him and she wants to help him and she's sort of promising him that she will come back for him because vince vaughn is like insisting that they leave right then why do they have to leave together i don't know she could have stayed longer now she knows it's not real you know she doesn't have to wake up yet but um anyway so she like as they're leaving she's like i'm gonna come back for you i'm gonna come back for you and she doesn't want to be a liar <laughs> so she reverses the feed without the doc with when their backs are turned and she makes it so they're locked out and they can't they can't stop her once they figure out what she's doing because they don't approve and it's really cool to see her in her head because at first she presents as like a virgin mary figure um she's sitting on a throne that's made of like seashells and like plastic waves it's kind of kitschy but it also looks really angelic and beautiful and she's wearing this very structured kind of like saint nun mother mary outfit and she presents herself as a savior she presents herself as kind of the star card in tarot is how i viewed it um which i think is a very mother mary energy as well um let's see let me see if there's anything else that I haven't said yet, because this is kind of the end of the movie at this point. It's interesting how the difference to what you see, when you see Vince Vaughn's character, when you see him go in to the serial killer's head, it is a different entryway. 
like it looks way different than when she went in um you see him go through like this weird psychedelic multicolored rainbow wormhole thing <laughs> that is very it's much more limited in its symbolism and color palette i mean it's not really more limited in its color palette because it's like a rainbow wormhole like i said but i don't know it's it's more limited and i think that that makes sense for you know he he doesn't have I don't know, like, he he doesn't have as much emotional intelligence as J-Lo's character does, so it makes sense to me that his way of seeing the inside of the serial killer's mind is slightly different. Now, he does find her in there, so there is, at some point, they're sharing the reality of his mind, but his entry point into it is much different, and that was the first time I had noticed that, this particular rewatch. Um, blah, 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 what else? albino vulture so it's interesting when she invites him into her head so she is portraying herself as this like mother mary figure and it's a really peaceful little landscape and there's a fountain feature but there's an albino peacock so there's like an element of who he is within her mind and then you know she's being really sweet and they're having a little conversation between the, the kid version of the serial killer and her. And at one point, the, the like evil demon version of the serial killer starts coming through and it starts poisoning her world. Like it starts getting dark and scary. And, you know, you get worried that her, her own mind, her own world is going to be tainted by the serial killer, which is the whole reason why they didn't want her to reverse the feed in the first place. But then her reaction to it is she becomes like this Athena warrior princess chick, this super gothic, like black lipstick, long curly hair. She's got a crossbow and a sword, um, like on one of those, I don't know what you call it, but you know, when you've got that like strap that has the sword and you can pull it back from, you can pull it up from your back. She has like one of those swords. Um, so she's like fully gothic warrior princess. She becomes that. She goes from being this Virgin Mary figure to she decides she's going to fight the demon serial killer aspect, you know, to save the boy, which of course she can't save the boy. If she kills, if she kills the demon version, she kills the boy version too. And at one point the boy kind of consents to that. He sort of tells her the story of when he had drowned a bird when he was younger, because he knew that if his dad found the bird, that it was injured and, and the boy wanted to take care of the bird, but he decided to drown the bird because he knew that if when his dad found out that he was taking care of a bird, he was going to do something way worse to the bird. So he was saving the bird from a more awful fate, from a terrible fate. And she, he was telling her that story so that she would do that to him. Um, but she says, I can't do that. But then that's when the like demon version of the serial killer shows up and she realizes she has to do that. So she like kills the demon king version and while the kid is bleeding out um i mean he's not actually dead yet i guess he's just bleeding out and then when she finds the kid version who is also bleeding out 
she takes him over to the fountain. And at this point, she has changed back into her, like, Virgin Mary outfit. I think it's slightly different at this point, too. I can't remember what the outfit looks like at the end. But she just holds him under in the... With his consent, essentially. She holds the kid under um, in the fountain. And he dies in real life. And she comes to, and at the same time that this scene is happening, where she's reversed the feed and that whole thing, at the same thing, same time that all of that is happening, you see Vince Vaughn's character who is, now that they know where to find the victim, he has gone to find her. And it's cut together so that at the same time that he is saving her, she is saving him. JLo saving the serial killer from himself and helping him pass through this world, helping his terrible existence end kind of consensually. She's giving him closure in a way that he never would have had. So it's, it's very interesting because it's like, it's not just they bested the serial killer and they had no compassion for him. They are besting the serial killer and showing compassion and like saying like you can't live in this world honey i'm sorry i know a lot of bad things have happened to you but you have done a lot of bad things and it's like those two things can be true at the same time you can feel for someone that is an awful human being that you want to no longer exist on this plane you can have empathy and know that they need to go you know it's it's just this movie is interesting to me it's yeah anyway so it was cut together in a really beautiful way of like, at the same time that Vince Vaughn is saving the victim, she is saving the serial killer um, from himself and also dispatching him from this earth. She is a warrior and also the mother Mary at the same time, you know, Athena and Mary, you know, I don't know. It's so cool. The mythology of this movie, the symbolism in this movie, all that shit. Um, what else was I going to say about that? Also, the the victim, you see her showing some agency, like, throughout this. I mean, she doesn't have much control. She's not able to save herself. But at the very end, when Vince Vaughn's character finds her, she is she has disconnected a pipe somehow within this. It's like this weird tank that fills with water slowly and by the time he finds her she would have been dead if she hadn't figured out how to disconnect this particular pipe that actually fed up through the ground somehow so she was she had her mouth around this pipe and she was breathing through the pipe the air through the pipe I don't know it doesn't probably make sense um, in the general construction of what a building like this would be like. But there was some kind of pipe within the tank that she was able to disconnect and breathe through. And that was the only reason why she was still alive. So I thought that was an interesting... I had forgotten that part, that she had saved herself to some extent. She didn't just surrender to being drowned, which would be understandable if you did. She'd been in there for 40 fucking hours, you know, and he was... He would have been too late if she hadn't done that. And so he, like, shoots through the glass, and then she's just, like, completely losing it. <laughs> and he's just holding her at the end. And the movie doesn't actually end there. You see another scene where, like, 
you get a little bit of closure on the whole experience. You know, you can assume that it's like days later, a week later, or something like that. And Vince Vaughn's character and JLo's character have a little conversation, kind of put some closure on the events of the movie, kind of reflect on it for a second, which a lot of movies don't let you do. I love that. A lot of books don't let you have that. I love that moment of just like putting, putting yourself back together after a traumatic event, you know, like it's self-care at the end of this movie, this little conversation between the two of them. And I, another thing that I really love, they do not do any fucking romantic bullshit between these two characters. Most movies would have done that. They don't. I mean, you can definitely tell that these two people have respect for each other that maybe could be starting a friendship, but they don't put romance into these two characters. They show them connecting with each other, um, but they don't take it beyond that. He doesn't even say anything offhandedly sexist towards her, which almost any male character at in the year 2000 would have done that to JLo in any role. And they didn't do it in this movie. No one objectified JLo at all through this entire movie. I mean, I guess the only thing that could have possibly been interpreted as objectification of JLo is that first scene when you see her, one of those first scenes when you see her go home at the end of the day, that first day, and she's like walking around her apartment in like just her shirt. So you kind of see her like with the fridge open or something and she's sort of like looking through the fridge and you kind of just like see her from an angle that is appreciative of her ass. But I'm okay with an angle that's appreciative of JLo's ass. I mean, who isn't, right? <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. It really wasn't too objectifying. It seemed natural to me that she would be walking around in just a shirt in her own damn apartment. You know, there was not even any conversations in this movie about JLo's romantic life in any form. No one was asking her why, why does she not have a man or no one was hinting to any trauma that she's had in her life that would lead her to this point. All of that cliche shit is just not in this movie. It's just not. And I like that. Anyway, where were we? Um, so at the very end, and I'm so glad this detail is in there because that dog is in the whole movie, you know? They actually suggest at one point that the dog be present while she's going into the serial killer's mind because the serial killer treated that dog with respect. The serial killer loved that dog. That dog loves him. So it's important that he be there. And part of JLo giving that kid closure and mercifully, that's a word, right? Mercifully sending him out of this life. It was just no question that she was going to also take care of his dog. So at the, in that last scene, whenever her character and Vince Vaughn's character are talking to each other and just kind of having that closure moment at the end of the movie, she is like leaning against her car while they're having the conversation and the dog is in the car. And there was actually a bit of dialogue from other like FBI officers or something like she's keeping the dog. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? No, I don't think that's fucked up at all. I would totally keep the dog. Like that dog deserves love, <laughs> you know? 
Um, also, cutest dog ever. Like, seriously, white German Shepherd with white eyes. Like, ah, such a fur ball. So much fur in your house. I have a German Shepherd right now, and it is absolutely inhuman. I mean, obviously, he's not human, but <laughs> it is just absolutely otherworldly how much goddamn fur that dog has. Anyway, beautiful dog. She's keeping the dog. I really like this movie a lot. Um, what else can we talk about here? That's probably it. That's probably all we need to talk about. Let's do our ratings. So object of the episode that I would like to pluck directly out of this movie to keep for myself. There's a lot of good wardrobe inside the mind of the serial killer in this movie. Um, shit, what would I want though? I think what I would want, there's this weird headpiece that JLo's character is wearing whenever she is like the queen inside the serial killer's mind. It's like this silver, angular, antler, abstract antler looking face piece thing that kind of fits onto her face like glasses. It's very weird. I think that is what I would like to have. <laughs> I think I would like to have that for costume purposes. Um, outfit of the episode, I'm going to go with, or outfit of the movie, I'm going to go with um, JLo's warrior outfit when she looks super goth and she's got the crossbow and the sword. Um, it's a functional outfit. It's very gothic. It is future Halloween goals. Um, I don't remember specifics about the outfit. It probably included a corset. I could probably recreate that outfit pretty easily, actually. Yeah. Black, curly, long hair, black lipstick. Man, she looks good. Okay, that's the outfit of the episode, or of the movie. I keep saying episode. Quote? I did not really write down any quotes. This movie is not known for its quotes. It's not known really at all. Most people that I have met have never heard of this movie. I'm usually the one that makes them watch it. <laughs> so if you're one of those people, thank you so much for watching this movie. I'd love to know your thoughts on it because apparently I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I'd love to know if this conversation makes you want to watch the movie if you haven't already. Like, I'd just love to know anything that you have to contribute to the conversation surrounding this movie in general. Please let me know. Radio at gmail is where you can send me your letters. Um, MVP of the movie. I mean, literally, it's J-Lo. Like, she's the savior. She is the savior slash, war slash warrior slash therapist, even though she's not technically trained, of the movie. Um, I love it. She's great. She's awesome. The doctor's also super cool. But I want to give the MVP, I like giving the MVP to a non-main character when possible. So I'm going to give it to the dog, Valentine, the albino German Shepherd, who's so cute, who's so vocal throughout the movie, is just a gorgeous dog, and I'm so glad she's keeping the dog. And if that wasn't in the movie, like a lot of movies would have just overlooked that detail. Like, you just would have stopped seeing the dog, the movie would have ended, and that's it. But the fact that they kept that one little detail in there, of like, yeah, she's taking the dog, she's keeping the dog, is so important to me. That's such an important detail. 
um, five by five ratings of this movie treatment of women and minorities it's decent I mean there's not a ton of representation but you do have a black woman you do have a Latina woman you do have that's about as far as that diversity goes I don't know if there are any men of color in this movie that I can think of offhand there's a wrestler woman at one point she's one of the victims that is inside his head the serial killer's head um, of course she's kind of presented as like a terrifying figure so that might not be good representation for wrestler or maybe not wrestler but like bodybuilder I guess those are different things. I, I For some reason, I just thought wrestler, but she's definitely a bodybuilder. So yeah, there's some diversity within the female characters of this movie, and the male characters are all relatively boring. Like, I used to have a hard time telling Vince Vaughn and Vincent D'Onofrio apart. I know they're not really that similar, but I do have kind of a face-nesia problem in general, especially when it comes to white guys. <laughs> um... It's just always been a problem for me if if male characters look pretty similar in a movie I get confused really quickly um, just simply because men it's not because of men in general it's because of the way that men present like most of the time they have the same goddamn haircut they wear the same goddamn clothes they don't typically do as much to differentiate male characters as they do with female characters I'm sorry my neighbor is just refusing to respect the fact that I'm recording a podcast right now. So rude. He's right outside my window weed eating right now. Okay, anyway. So as far as treatment of women and minorities, there's not a ton of representation, but it does exist. And all the characters are really treated equally. You know, like somebody is not treated with more respect because they're a white guy in this movie. That's just not the case. There's definitely more white guys than there are of any other type of character in this movie, but they're not treated with more respect or less, really. Everybody's pretty much treated equally in the movie. So I'll give it a three and a half for um, treatment of minority characters because the treatment is fine. It's just the representation that's the problem. Um overall enjoyability of the movie it's an upsetting movie like it is a in um in Jungian philosophy or psychology there's something called the shadow self um and it's something that a lot of witches and tarot readers and stuff talk about as well and I think typically like the mystical community kind of misinterprets the way that Carl Jung defines the shadow self however not really important because what's most important is how most people define that thing but i would say that this movie is really a shadow self exploration you know like if you think of it in terms of like the the character dexter being a serial killer he considers he his verbalization of like his serial killer self, he calls it his dark passenger. He sees it as sort of an evil aspect that is residing within his mind. And that kind of, that's kind of like a shadow self. Like the darkest version of yourself is something that this idea, 
the idea presented in this movie is that that shadow self has a visual manifestation that exists within your mind. You know, that idea really has a lot of, like, watching this movie, the experience of watching this movie is really kind of an exploration of the dark version of your own psyche. Like, if you allow yourself to kind of explore that as you're, you're watching a movie like this, I think this movie could be, like, a psychologically therapeutic experience if you allow yourself to feel what you feel about what you see in this movie and how it relates to your own life and how it relates to the way that you might see your own psyche in a visual way. Um, I just feel like there's a lot that could be explored with particularly the ideas this movie presents. Anyway, <laughs> I think me talking about it right now was actually more enjoyable than me watching it, but I think the conversation surrounding a movie like this is more interesting than the actual movie itself, but I mean, that's the thing that started the conversation, so I'm not saying that I'm more interesting than the movie. I'm just saying, like, I'm enjoying thinking about it and conceptualizing it more than actually watching it. <laughs> anyway, I would love to talk to you guys about this crazy-ass movie. I know I've talked about it for way too long already, so I'm gonna shut up now. Let's do a little bit of um, business for a second. Um, we are... What else do we have to talk about in this movie? This summer of movies from the year 2000. Okay, I was just double-checking my Patreon poll to see if I had gotten any more votes on it, and I have not, which means that I have now covered both movies that were voted for on my Patreon poll that I titled, What's This Bitch Gonna Talk About? <laughs> um, no one voted for The Cell, but I told y'all from the beginning that I was gonna be talking about that movie. So I have now talked about four movies so far, guys. I talked about Blair Witch 2, The Cell, Miss Congeniality, and High Fidelity. Um, other movies that came out in the year 2000 that I was thinking I would like to cover, um, Bring It On, and Best in Show are the top two choices. Um, I'd love to know which one you would like me to do, or if there's some other movie from the year 2000 that you would particularly like me to do. Again, that poll is still pinned. Um, it's still a pinned post on my Patreon, so you just have to go patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E, and both of those movies are listed on there. So if I get a vote for either of those, I will do that one first. Um, at this point, I have been pretty consistent in the last few weeks. I've In the last two weeks, I've done three of these. And we still have, let's see, one, two, three, four weeks until we start talking about season five of Buffy. So I feel like we could potentially have time for several more movies to talk about from the year 2000. I am... Like, once I get into a project, I'm pretty into it. So the fact that I'm being pretty productive with this likely will continue until I get bored. <laughs> so um, I'm definitely willing to watch a movie from the year 2000 that I've never even seen before. Like, all these other movies that I'm listing are movies that have been important to me um, in some fashion. But I'm definitely open to talking about whatever. 
let me know as long as it came out in the year 2000. Um, mixtressradio at gmail if you have a specific. If you'd rather just email me your suggestions or votes instead of going to that poll. You don't have, a, have to be a patron, by the way, to vote on that poll. But if you would like to go to it, go for it. And yeah, I'll see you in the next one. I'm assuming that I will watch either Bring It On or Best in Show sometime in the next week or two. And I'll be back with a podcast about that. Unless you guys decide you want me to talk about a different movie from the year 2000. I actually have a list right here. Um, so I will list some of the movies that I wrote down at the beginning of the summer that I thought maybe I would do, maybe not. American Psycho, Requiem for a Dream, Aaron Brockovich, Almost Famous, Bedazzled. I don't think I've ever seen Bedazzled. Um, it's like Elizabeth Hurley and, um, the mummy guy, what's that guy's name? That was in Encino Man. I can't think of his name. Brendan Fraser. Okay. Charlie's Angels, 28 Days, the one with Sandra Bullock. Um, yeah, that's all I've got written down besides the ones I've already done. So let me know. I would, I would, you know, prefer to do one that you would actually be interested in hearing about. So let me know your preferences. Um, and I'll see you again in a week or two. Okay. Bye.